This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Friday, and there was much rejoicing. We have made it through another week. Uh, one more, one more uh, lunch hour, one more quitting time, and we are into the weekend. So good to have you with us. Thanks for joining us and starting your day with squirrel chatter. It is the 26th day of January, 2024. This is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the audio podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com, check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. Oh, had a great day yesterday. Had lunch with my daughter and granddaughter, and, and it was really fun because uh, our, our waitress was uh, a young lady that... Uh, I drove her sport bus when she was in high school, so didn't know she worked there. We saw her. I saw her when I walked in. I thought, is that is that Maddie? And sure enough, it was. Um, I think I've only seen her once since her graduation, and so she's five years older. <laughs> and uh, um, and her, her face had matured a bit to the point that I recognized her, but I wasn't. 100% sure it was her. And then she came over to our table to wait on us, and it was like, oh, yeah, it's it's Maddie. So that was good. She was one of my uh, one of my lady cats that, that rode the bus on all those sports trips, and uh, she graduated back in 2019. And I think I've only seen her, like, once or twice since then, and that was when her, you know, that was shortly after she graduated when her little brother was still in school, and he was he was uh, playing football, and so well, he's played basketball too. But I, w- I would see her the, the that first year or so after she graduated, and then I haven't seen her in quite a while. So it was very good to see her, catch up with her a little bit, and uh, and in addition to spending time with my own daughter and granddaughter, which is always a joy. So, and I had. Uh, I had uh, cashew chicken. It was very good. Um, my first time eating at the new location of the mustard seed, actually. The the mustard seed is a... a, a I think they originally billed themselves as an Oriental Cafe. I'm not sure exactly how they... It's it's not a traditional Chinese or Japanese restaurant. It's It's, you know, Americanized Oriental food. Um... Oriental style food, I guess. Excuse me just a moment. I will be right back. What I've said for years now is the best thing you can do as a Christian to live well in this world is find a healthy church and build your life around it. 
I mean, do what you got to do. I, and I, I, I grieve for people. Say, There's no health, no churches in 100 miles of me. And uh, it's, it's sad. Move. Move. Well, but I got busy. What's more important? You, know, you can have your business over here and lose your children. Or you can move and maybe have to work at a 7-Eleven and help build your life around a healthy church for the welfare of your children. And I'm back. Uh, sorry about that. But, uh, yeah, um, when, when the mustard seed first opened, it was a little storefront cafe in downtown Missoula on Front Street right next door to the Fox Theater. And fabulous food, but it was a little bitty, little bitty shop. I mean, it wasn't a big place and, and just really good food. And then they moved into a larger location in Southgate Mall and was there for forever. And it became a little bit more upscale. Um, that's one of the things when they, when they moved the, 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 the little downtown shop had been very much a, um, you know, it was a, it was a downtown storefront diner and now it was a cafe, but it, it was Oriental food. Um, but it was, it, it, it wasn't fancy. It was a downtown eatery in a college town. Good food, really good food. Um, and then they, they moved to a larger location in, in Southgate Mall. And that location, they, they, they became a little bit more upscale. Prices went up, <laughs> um, a lot more seating. Um, I'm sure their rent was much higher, not just from the size of the space, but it was expensive to have a place in the mall. And, and understand, this is in mall, when malls were all that. <laughs> um, but it was always a favorite with our family. I mean, we've had uh, birthday parties there. Um, you know, uh, just just a, it's always been a place that, that our family has gone to when, you know, special occasion sort of thing. Um, and then... They built a new location, which is still at the mall, but it's not in the mall. It's it's detached. Um, the the you know malls have changed, and so now it's a it's a separate building, um, on the mall grounds. <laughs> um, and yesterday was the the first time I'd I'd eaten in that new location. <laughs> it's probably been over, open for, matter of fact. Uh, my daughter and I were talking that I think the last time I ate at the mustard seed was the week of mom's funeral, which was Thanksgiving 2019. <laughs> so, yeah, um, times, times change. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, but it was good. It was very good. They've changed the menu. Um, they don't have the, for, for years, my go-to there, they had, they had two, two dishes. They had fireworks, chicken and fireworks, shrimp, which was in a spicy red sauce. I don't know what, what you would call it. was tangy. It wasn't really spicy. Um, but I'm one of those guys that, you know, it likes spicy food. So tangy for me is blazingly hot for other people. Um, but they had this fireworks chicken, uh, 
And that was my go-to for forever. And probably five, six years ago, I think, they took it off the menu as a regular item. It comes back as a special every once in a while. But that was like a mainstay. And I don't know why they took it off the menu. I really don't. I've never been able to get a satisfactory answer. But uh, I asked Maddie yesterday if, you know, can we get fireworks chicken? She said, no, it's not available right now. So it's one of those things you got, if you know, you ask. <laughs> and sometimes it's available, sometimes it's not. And, and uh, it's a sad thing that they took that off the regular menu. Because um, it was good. <laughs> Yeah. So that was lunch yesterday at the Monta or at the the mustard seed in Missoula with my daughter and granddaughter. Had a great time, um, and did a little little quick shopping and came home. The whole purpose of the trip to town was to have lunch with them because uh, need that need that time. She needs time with her appa, and I need time with my little granddaughter. So all right. What do we got coming up today? We have scripture reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And it's Friday, so it's Federalist Friday. We are at Federalist number 43. So we are officially halfway. There are 85 Federalist papers. We are at Federalist paper 43. So, if all goes well, and we don't miss a lot of Fridays. Um, we're going to miss a few, but if we don't miss a lot of them, um, we should finish the Federalist Papers this year, which there was much rejoicing. And remember, when we finish the Federalist Papers, we are going to go through the Constitution bit by bit, looking at what it says, looking at the explanations of why it says what it says that we find in the Federalist Papers. And, and we're doing a deep dive civics lesson on Fridays, on Federalist Fridays. How is the American government supposed to function? Um, and that's an important thing, especially uh, right now. <laughs> we, we are actually in the midst of a constitutional crisis with the borders not being defended by the federal government and indeed, the federal government trying to prevent the states from defending their own borders. So we are in a constitutional crisis. And this could be an interesting time. We'll talk more about this on Monday, but uh, and, and we'll know more on Monday because today is apparently the deadline that the Biden administration has set for Texas to back down. And it doesn't look like Texas is backing down. And... I keep thinking about the old don't mess with Texas. Um, it's, uh, you know, Texas has a history. Of course, Texas was an independent republic for a long period of time. Um, and uh, so it's it's going to be an interesting, interesting take on how this shakes out. Because I'm like, you know, what if Biden decides he wants to try to federalize the Texas National Guard. Who is the Texas National Guard going to follow? The president or the governor? 
Um, so it, it's, it's an interesting time. And, and, you know, what, what do we do if we have federal border patrol agents or federal troops facing off against Texas troops? What if somebody fires a shot? What's going to happen? This is serious stuff. Um, I don't think people, people realize how close we are to a serious, serious situation. Be in prayer about that. Um, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. Um, sometimes war is necessary. War is never desirable. And war always has more costs than we want to think it, it has. So this is going to be an interesting weekend. So looking forward to Monday meandering, um, or anticipating Monday meandering, not looking forward to it in that I'm happy about this situation, but I am looking forward to it as talking about these things. So that'll be on Monday. Monday's meandering. We're going to, we're going to really do a deep dive into what's going on in Texas. And, and we'll have some uh, more news on the subject that will develop this weekend. So that's a situation that we are watching closely. Um, and you should be too. This is something you ought to be paying attention to. I think it's much more important than the news coverage it's getting. Um, because the liberal media is, oh, those just hotheads down in Texas. Nothing's going to come of it. I don't know. This is pretty serious. You've had over half the state governors, 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 over half the governor, over, in addition to Texas, 25 other states. So that's 26. That's over half of the 50. 25 other states have issued statements in support of Texas. So you have right now, as far as the number of states, you have the country split down the middle. So this is, this is serious. And, and it's going to be interesting. I think it's a lot more serious than people are giving, giving attention to it. So, I mean, there, there are people watching it and there are people talking about it, but it's not being talked about in terms of the crisis that it really is. So be in prayer about that. Watch all of that and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Let us now begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace 
that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our scripture reading today is Genesis 33 and Psalm 33. Genesis 33. After a sip of coffee. Finishing up the Montana Coffee Traders Trailblazer blend. Got about another week of this, and then I'm going to have to pick up another flavor off my shelf. This was a five pound bag. That's why it's lasting so long. And it's actually five pounds. It's not five 12 ounce bags. I, I don't get that. But anyway, we talked about that the other day. <laughs> Genesis 33. Then Jacob lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two servant women. And he put the servant women and their children first, and Leah and her children after them, and Rachel and Joseph after them. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are these with you? And he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servant women came near with their children, and they bowed down. Leah likewise came near with her children, and they bowed down. And afterward Joseph came near with Rachel, and they bowed down. And he said, What do you mean by all these camps which I have met? And he said, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. And Jacob said, No, please, if now I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand. For I see your face as one sees the face of God, and you have received me favorably. Please take my blessing, which has been brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have everything. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us take our journey and go, and I will go before you. But he said to him, My Lord knows that the children are weak, and that the flocks and herds which are nursing are a care to me. And if they are driven hard one day, all the flocks will die. Please let my Lord pass on before his servant, and I will lead on slowly according to the pace of the cattle, that are before me and according to the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord at Seir. Then Esau said, Please let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, Why do this? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and built for himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. Therefore the place is named Succoth. Now Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, 
when he came from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city. Then he bought a portion of a field where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for one hundred kasita. Then he set, set up there an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. All right, now Psalm 33. Sing for joy in Yahweh, O righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to Yahweh with the lyre. Sing praises to him with harps of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud shout. For the word of Yahweh is upright, and all his work is done faithful is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of Yahweh. By the word of Yahweh the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear Yahweh. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was. He commanded and it stood. Yahweh nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the thoughts of the people. The counsel of Yahweh stands forever. The thoughts of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is Yahweh, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Yahweh looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his, inhabit his habitation, he gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who forms the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for salvation, nor does it provide escape to anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of Yahweh is on those who fear him, on those who wait for his loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul is patient for Yahweh. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Yahweh, be upon us as we wait for you. This is the word of the Lord. And now our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, Volume 1, by John MacArthur. Today's devotional is Qualifications to Receive God's Wisdom. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. The promises in these verses are limited only to believers who meet certain qualifications. First, everyone refers to those who belong to the Father. Those who are not God's children can't come to him as their father. Second, the one who claims this promise must be living in obedience to the father. Whatever we ask, we receive from him, John says, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. 1 John 3.22 Third, our motive in asking must be right. You ask and do not receive, explains James, because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. 
James 4.3. God does not obligate himself to answer selfish, carnal requests from his children. Finally, we must be submissive to his will if we are trying to serve both God and mammon. We can't claim this promise. For, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James 1, 7 and 8. Another possible qualification is perseverance, as indicated by the Greek imperatives ask, seek, and knock. The idea is continuance and consistency. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. If you meet these qualifications, be sure you're taking advantage of your access to God. Ask yourself, None of us can entirely attain to these lofty ideals, but God knows when our hearts are tender and sincere before him, genuinely seeking his glory over our personal gain. In whatever situation you are most in need of his guidance and provision today, ask in faith while surrendering yourself. I read something like that and it makes me think about all those prayers that are being offered by people Asking God to let them win the lottery. <laughs> uh, probably not a, not a uh, prayer he's going to answer in that way. All right, it is Federalist Friday. We already talked about why we're going through the Federalist Papers, so we won't go through that again. Today is Federalist number 43. The same subject continued. The powers conferred by the Constitution further considered. For the Independent Journal, James Madison. So remember, uh, Madison is going through the powers that the Constitution gives the federal government and why. And this is, I believe, the third Federalist paper in this series, dealing with the powers that are granted to the federal government by the Constitution, by the people of the United States, and why it was done the way it was. We read, to the people of the state of New York, the fourth class comprises the following miscellaneous powers. One, a power to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for a limited time to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. The utility of this power will scarcely be questioned. The copyright of authors has been solemnly adjudged in Great Britain to be a right of common law. The right to useful inventions seems with equal reason to belong to the inventors. The public good fully coincides in both cases with the claims of individuals. The states cannot separately make effectual provisions for either of the cases, and most of them have anticipated the decision of this point by laws passed in the instance of Congress. Two, to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district not exceeding 10 miles square as may by cessation of particular states and the acceptance of Congress become the seat of the government of the United States and to exercise like authority over all places purchased by the consent of the legislatures of the United States in which the same shall be for the erection of forts, magazines, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful beings. The indispensable necessity of complete authority at the seat of government carries its own evidence with it. 
It is a power exercised by every legislature of the Union. I might say of the world by virtue of its general supremacy. Without it, not only the public authority might be insulted with its and its proceedings interrupted with impunity, but a dependence of the members of the general government on the state comprehending the seat of the government for protecting in the for protection in the exercise of their duty might bring on the national councils an imputation of awe or influence equally dishonorable to the government and dissatisfactory to the other members of the Confederacy. This consideration has the more weight as the gradual accumulation of public improvements at the stationary residence of the government would be both too great a public pledge to be left in the hands of a single state and would create so many obstacles to be removed to the removal of the government as still further to abridge its necessary independence. The extent of this federal district is sufficiently circumscribed to satisfy every jealousy of an opposite nature. And as it is to be appropriated to the use to this use with the consent of the state ceding it, as the state will no doubt provide in the compact for the rights and the consent of the citizens inhabiting it, as the inhabitants will find sufficient inducements of interest to become willing parties to the, to the session, as they will have had their voice in the election of the government, which is to exercise authority over them, as a municipal legislature, for local purposes derived from their own suffrages, will of course be allowed them. And as the authority of the legislature of the state and of the inhabitants of the ceded part of it to concur in the session will be derived from the whole people of the state in their adoption of the Constitution, every imaginable objection seems to be obviated. The necessity of a like authority over forts, magazines, etc., established by the general government is, less, is not less evident. The public money expended on such places and the public property deposited in them requires that they should be exempt from the authority of the particular state nor would it be proper for the places on which the security of the entire union may depend to be in any degree dependent on a particular member of it. All objections and scruples are here also obviated by requiring the concurrence of the state concern, states concerned in every such establishment. 3. To declare the punishment of treason but no attainder of treason shall work corruption of blood or forfeiture except during the life of the person attained. As treason may be committed against the United States, the authority of the United States ought to be enabled to punishment. But as newfangled and artificial treasons have been the great engines by which violent factions, the natural offspring of free governments, have usually wreaked their alternate malignity on each other, the convention have, with great judgment, opposed a barrier to this particular danger by inserting a constitutional definition of the crime, fixing the proof necessary for conviction of it, and restraining the Congress, even in punishing it, from extending the consequences of the guilt beyond the person of its author. 4. To admit new states into the Union but no new state shall be formed or erected within the jurisdiction of any other state, nor any state formed by the junction of two or more states or parts of states without the consent of the legislatures of the states concerned, 
as well as of Congress. In the Articles of Confederation, no provision is found on this important subject. Canada was to be admitted of right on her joining in the measures of the United States and other colonies by which were evidently meant the other British colonies at the discretion of the nine states. The eventual establishment of new states seems to have been overlooked by the compilers of that instrument. We have seen the inconvenience of this omission and the assumption of powers into which Congress has been led. With great propriety, therefore, has the new system supplied the defect. The general precaution that no new state shall be formed without the concurrence of the federal authority and that of the states concerned is consonant to the principles which ought to govern such transactions. The particular precaution against the erection of new states by the partition of a state without its consent quiets the jealousy of the larger states as that of the smaller is quieted by a like precaution against a junction of states without their consent. To dispose of and make all needful, this is number five, to dispose of and make all needful rules and regulations respecting the territory or other property belonging to the United States, with a proviso that nothing in the Constitution shall be construed as to prejudice any claims of the United States or of any particular state. This is a power of very great importance and required by considerations similar to those which show the propriety of the former. The proviso annexed is proper in itself and was probably rendered absolutely necessary by jealousies and questions concerning the Western territory sufficiently known to the public. Number six, to guarantee to every state in the Union a Republican form of government, to protect each of them against invasion and on application of the legislature or of the executive, when legislature cannot be convened, against domestic violence. In a confederacy founded on Republican principles and composed of Republican members, the superintending government ought clearly to possess authority to defend the system against aristocratic or monarchical innovations. The more intimate the nature of such a union may be, the greater interest have the members in the political institutions of each other, and the greater right to insist that the forms of government under which the compact was entered into should be substantially maintained. But a right implies a remedy, and where else could the remedy be deposited than where it is deposited by the Constitution? Governments of dissimilar principles and forms have been found less adapted to a federal coalition of any sort than those of a kindred nature. As the Confederate Republic of Germany, says Montesquieu, consists of free cities and petty states subject to different princes, experience shows us that it is more imperfect than that of Holland and Switzerland. Greece was undone, he adds, as soon as the king of Macedon obtained a seat among the Am Amphictyons. In the latter case, no doubt, the disproportionate force as well as the monarchical form of the new confederate had its share of influence on the events. It may possibly be asked what need there could be of such a precaution and whether it may, may not become a pretext for alterations in the state governments without the concurrence of the states themselves. These questions admit of ready answers. 
If the interposition of the general government should not be needed, the provision for such an event will be a, a harmless superflu superfluity only in the Constitution. But who can say what experiments may be produced by the caprice of particular states, by the ambition of enterprising leaders, or by the intrigues and influences of foreign powers? To the second question, it may be answered that if the general government should interpose by virtue of this constitutional authority, it will be, of course, bound to pursue the authority. But the authority extends no further than to a guarantee of a republican form of government, which supposes a pre-existing government of the form which is to be guaranteed. As long, therefore, as the existing republican forms are continued by the states, they are guaranteed by the federal constitution. Whenever the states may choose to substitute other republican forms, they have a right to do so, and to claim the federal guarantee of the, for the latter. The only restriction imposed on them is they shall not exchange Republican for anti-Republican constitutions, a restriction which, it is presumed, will hardly be considered as a grievance. This next paragraph is kind of important to current events. We continue. A protection against invasion is due from every society to the parts composing it. The latitude of the expression here used seems to secure such states, such, such state not only against foreign hostility, but against ambitious or vindictive enterprises of its more powerful neighbors. The history, both of ancient and modern confederacies, proves that the weaker members of the Union ought not to be insensible to the policy of this article. Protection against domestic violence is added with equal propriety. It has been remarked that even among the Swiss cantons, which, properly speaking, are not under one government, provision is made for this object. And the history of that league informs us that mutual aid is frequently claimed and afforded, and as well by the most democratic, as the other cantons. A recent and well-known event among ourselves has warned us to be prepared for emergencies of a like nature. At first view, it might seem not to square with the Republican theory to suppose either that a majority have not the right or that a minority will have the force to subvert a government, and consequently that the federal interposition can never be required, but when it would be improper. But theoretic reasoning in this is the most in this as in most other cases must be qualified by the lessons of practice. Why may not illicit combinations for purposes of violence be formed as well by a majority of a state, especially a small state as by a majority of a county, or a district of the same state? And if the authority of the state ought, in the latter case, to protect the local magistrate, ought not the federal authority in the former to support the state authority? Besides, there are certain parts of the state constitutions which are so interwoven with the federal constitution that a violent blow cannot be given to the one without communicating the wound to the other. Insurrection in a state will rarely induce a federal interposition unless the number concerned in them bears some proportion to the friends of the government. It will be much better that the violence in such cases should be repressed by the superintending power 
than that the majority should be left to maintain their cause by a bloody and obstinate contest. The existence of a right to interpose will generally prevent the necessity of exerting it. Is it true that force and right are necessary on the, necessarily on the same side in Republican governments? May not the minor party possess such a superiority of pecuniary resources, of military talents and experience, or of secret suckers from foreign powers, as will render it superior also in an appeal to the sword? May not a more compact and advantageous position turn the scale on the same side against a superior number so situated as to be less capable of a prompt and collective exertion of its strength? Nothing can be more chimerical than to imagine that in a trial of actual force, victory may be calculated by the rules which prevail in a census of the inhabitants or which determine the event of an election. May it not happen in fine that the majority that the minority of citizens may become a majority of persons by the accession of alien residents or of a casual concourse of adventurers or of those whom the constitution of the state has not admitted to the rights of suffrage? Let me read that again. May it not happen in fine that the minority of citizens may become a majority of persons by the accession of alien residences, of a casual concourse of adventurers, or of those whom the constitution of the state has not admitted to the rights of suffrage. I take no notice of an unhappy species of population abounding in some of the states who, during the calm of regular government, are sunk below the level of men, but who, in the tempestuous scenes of civil violence, may emerge into the human character and give a superiority of strength to any party with which they may associate themselves. In cases where it may be doubtful on which side justice lies, what better umpires could be desired by two violent factions flying to arms and tearing a state to pieces than the representatives of Confederate states, not heeded by the local flame? To the impartiality of judges, they would unite the affection of friends. Happy would it be if such a remedy for its infirmities could be enjoyed by all free governments. If a project equally effectual could be established for the universal peace of mankind. Should it be asked, what is to be the redress for an insurrection pervading all the states and comprising a superiority of the entire force, though not a constitutional right? The answer must be that in such a case, as it would be without the compass of human remedies, so it is fortunately not within the compass of human probability, and that it is a sufficient recommendation of the federal constitution that it diminishes the risk of a calamity for which no possible constitution can provide a cure. Among the advantages of a Confederate Republic enumerated by Monte Mon Montesquieu, an important one is, that should a popular insurrection happen to one of the states, the others are able to quell it. Should abuse creep into one part, they are reformed by those that remain sound. 7. To consider all debts, all debts contracted and engagements entered into before the adoption of this con constitution as being no less valid against the United States under this constitution 
than under the Confederation. This can only be considered as a declaratory proposition and may have been inserted, among other reasons, for the satisfaction of the foreign creditors of the United States who cannot be strangers to the pretended doctrine that a change in the political form of a civil society has the magical effect of dissolving its moral obligations. Among the lesser criticisms which have been exercised on the Constitution, it has been remarked that the validity of engagements ought to have been asserted in favor of the United States as well as against them. And in the spirit which usually characterizes little critics, the omission has been transformed and magnified into a plot against the national rights. The authors of this discovery may be told what few others need to be informed of, that as engagements are in their nature reciprocal, an assertion of their validity on the one side necessarily involves a validity on the other side, and that as the article is merely declaratory, the establishment of the principle in one case is sufficient for every case. They may be further told that every constitution must limit its precautions to dangers that are not altogether imaginary, and that no real danger can exist that the government would dare, with or even without, this constitutional declaration before it to remit the debts justly due to the public, on the pretext here condemned. 8. To provide for amendments to be ratified by three-fourths of the states under two exceptions only. That useful alterations will be suggested by experience could not, but be, could not but be foreseen. It is requisite, therefore, that a mode for introducing them should be provided. The mode preferred by the convention seems to be stamped with every mark of propriety. It guards equally against that extreme facility which would render the Constitution too mutable and that extreme difficulty which would perpetuate its discovered faults. It, moreover, equally enables the general and the state governments to originate the amendment of errors as they may be pointed out by the experience on the one side or on the other. The exception in favor of the equality of the suffrage in the Senate was probably meant as a palladium to the residuary sovereignty of the states, implied and secured by that principle of representation in one branch of the legislature, and was probably insisted on by the states particularly attached to that equality. The other, exemption, other exception must have been admitted on the same considerations which produced the privilege of defended by it. Number nine. The ratification of the conventions of nine states shall be sufficient for the establishment of this constitution between the states, ratifying the same. This article speaks for itself. The express authority of the people alone could give due validity to the constitution. To have required the unanimous ratification of the 13 states would have subjected the essential interests of the whole to be caprice or corruption of a single to the caprice or corruption of a single member. It would have marked a want of foresight in the convention, which our own experience would have rendered inexcusable. Two questions of a very delicate nature present themselves on this occasion. One, on what principle of the on what principle the Confederation, which stands in the solemn form of a compact among the states, can be superseded without the unanimous consent of the parties to it? And two, what relationship 
What relation is the subset? What relation is to subsist between the nine or more states ratifying the Constitution and the remaining few who do not become parties to it? The first question is answered at once by recurring to the absolute necessity of the case, to the great principle of self-preservation, to the transcendent law of nature and of nature's God, which declares that the safety and happiness of society are the objects at which all political institutions aim, and to which all such institutions must be sacrificed. Perhaps, also, an answer may be found without searching beyond the principles of the compact itself. It has been heretofore noted, among the defects of the Confederation, that in many states it had received no higher sanction than a mere legislative ratification. The principle of reciprocity, the principle of reciprocality, reciprocality, seems to require that its obligation on the other states should be reduced to the same standard. A compact between independent sovereigns founded on ordinary acts of legislative authority can pretend to no higher validity than a league or treaty between the parties. It is an established doctrine on the subject of treaties that all the articles are mutual, mutually are mutually conditions of each other, that a breach of any one article is a breach of the whole treaty, and that a breach committed by either of the parties absolves the others and authorizes them, if they please, to pronounce the compact violated and void. Should it unhappily be necessary to appeal to these delicate truths for a justification for dispensing with the consent of particular states to a dissolution of the federal pact, will not the complaining parties find it a difficult task to answer the multiplied and important infractions with which they may be confronted? The time has been when it was incumbent on all of us, on us all, to veil the ideas which this paragraph exhibits. The scene is now changed, and with it the part which the same motives dictate. <clears throat> Excuse me. The second question is not less delicate, and the flattering prospect of it being merely hypothetical forbids an overcurious discussion of it. It is one of those cases which must be left to provide for itself. In general, it may be observed that although no political relation can subsist between the assenting and dissenting states, yet the moral relations will remain uncancelled. The claims of justice, both on one side and on the other, will be in force and must be fulfilled. The rights of humanity must in all cases be duly and mutually respected, whilst considerations of a common interest and, above all, the remembrance of the endearing scenes which are past and the anticipation of a speedy triumph over the obstacles to reunion will, it is hoped, not urge in vain moderation on one side and prudence on the other. Publius. As I said, a lot in that one that deals with current events. Um, well worth thinking about. And as again, we will be watching the whole situation um, revolving around our borders with uh, great uh, interest in the days ahead. All right. Let us now recite together our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And the colic for the third Sunday of Epiphany. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The Collect for Endurance Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace, through Jesus Christ your Son, our Lord. Amen. And for the unrepentant we pray. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Friday. Hope you had a great week. Hope you have a great weekend. And I really hope your weekend includes going to church on Sunday. After missing church last Sunday, I am very much looking forward to Sunday this week. And remember, the only reason I missed church on Sunday was it was very unsafe driving conditions. So we did not venture out. But uh, barring extraordinary situations, you should be in church every week. So I urge you to go to church if you don't have a church, find one. If you need help finding one, write me at squirrelchatter at protonmail.com and I will bend over backwards to see if I can't help you find a solid church in your area. All right, folks, that's our week. Hope you have a great weekend. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. Go to church on Sunday. We'll see you here on Monday. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.